listening to Politics Weekly. To uh, be big underdogs uh, in the race uh, for the uh, the presidency. One of them is uh, joining me today. We can survive all those systems. What's going to happen if you legalize it completely? Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. Okay, welcome back uh, to Politics Weekly, everyone. Uh, This week, uh, we are back with a long-time guest. He's been on since episode one, uh, Omar Yacobi. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. All right. Uh, So why don't we uh, get right into the news uh, then? So let's talk about the news that everybody's talking about. A big presidential announcement this week. Everybody had been talking about it for months. It you know it was getting a lot of fanfare. Everybody wanted to know if this person was running. Uh, and now we can officially say after this week that Seth Moulton has gotten into the race. Yeah. Um, but in all, well, he did. But uh, I don't think uh, there was as much fanfare built up about him. Uh, as there was to uh, former vice president uh, and uh, former Delaware uh, Senator uh, Joe Biden. Uh, so uh, Joe Biden released uh, a, uh, an announcement ad, uh, or he, he, uh, he released uh, a launch ad um, on uh, social media, on the internet, uh, in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, where he criticizes Trump for his uh, response to the Charlottesville incident, um, he uh, eventually. So he he talks a little bit about that. Um, uh, Biden then later apologized uh, to, or, or he uh, s- expressed regret to Anita Hill, but stopped short of apologizing for his actions, saying on the view that he uh, does not believe he did anything wrong. Uh, Anita Hill uh, expressed uh, uh, concern over Biden's response and said she would not be supporting him and also expressed concerns uh, over the allegations from women uh, that he had been lurking over them. Um, And this makes Biden the 20th candidate uh, in the... uh, the uh in the democratic primary so far uh even though the election isn't until november of next year it's only april of 2019 and there are already 20 candidates in um and uh seth moulton also we talked a little bit about him not as much fanfare given uh but the the massachusetts congressman also got in uh on monday um and uh, right, right now, Donald Trump criticizing Joe Biden, calling him Sleepy Joe. Um, but anyways, what are your thoughts on uh, Seth Moulton getting in, the clear Democratic frontrunner, uh, and uh, Joe Biden getting in? Well, well yeah, I, I think I saw exactly one article on Seth in my Facebook feed, and uh, 
I, I have to tell you, I didn't bother to click on it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't see a lot of organic excitement out there around this guy. Uh, so I, I will have to look more into what his uh, policy positions are. That, that's what I'm looking for in this race. Uh, and I, honestly, there's some candidates I, I don't see doing a lot of policy right now. They're just talking a lot. Um, but I, for me personally, I'm waiting for the debates to form my opinion to hear, you know, at least how they address the issues. And then I get a better idea of who that, that person is and how presidential they can be. Uh, Biden, I, I mean, he's a known quantity. Uh, I, I don't think anyone was really clamoring for him to get in the race. I get the sense that there's a sense of relief from the establishment that, and when I say establishment, I mean like uh, pundits and, and centrist Democrats. Uh, there, there's a relief that he's gotten in the race because he, I think, represents the best hope for that wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, I will see, uh, based on polling and what happens during the campaign, whether that's actually going to resonate with people. Um, now, uh, in terms of Seth Moulton, uh, do you believe, uh, that Seth Moulton is actually in it to win it? Uh, or do you think Seth Moulton is maybe doing this to get more positions out? Do you think maybe he's doing it, uh, potentially for the speakership? Because I know before Nancy Pelosi took over as speaker, there was some talk that Seth Moulton might be in the running, uh, to take over as speaker, uh, had Pelosi announced she would uh, not take up the speakership, do you think uh, he's doing it for those reasons, or do you think he's completely in it to win it? I mean, I I will say, I, th I think the last uh, House of Representatives member to go straight to the presidency might have been Abraham Lincoln, if I remember correctly. It was <laughs> James Garfield. Garfield. James Garfield. Yeah, okay. because he yeah. was elected Somewhere to the Senate. In the 19th century. <laughs> yeah, he was... Um, Elected to the Senate concurrently, but then he had to deny his Senate seat to become president. But anyways, continue. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it was um, it, it's just very rare to advance straight from there to the, the presidency. And I, I think in order to run for the presidency from that position, it's it, to me it strikes me as some kind of statement of ego. Like, look how important I am. You know? <laughs> uh, I... I I don't know too much about his policy positions yet or why he's running. Uh, so I don't want to say too much, but it, it, it just, it, it struck me as really odd this late in the game uh, to come out like that. They're, they're basically saying, yeah, none of these other people has what it takes. It's gotta be me. And I haven't heard from him why yet. And to be fair, I haven't heard him out yet. So I, I, I'll be interested to see what he has to say. Now, in terms of Joe Biden, um, if Joe Biden were to end up winning the nomination, it's a big if, but, Right now, a lot of the polls do show him uh, number one nationally, as of right now. Uh, if he is the nominee to go up against Donald Trump, uh, how much of a chance does he actually have of uh, taking down Trump, especially compared to some of the other Democrats like Kamala Harris, uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, Beto O'Rourke? What, what do you think? Uh, well, I, I will say that Biden's strength is uh, with white working class voters. I, I think he might do a better job of, of peeling those away in, in the Rust Belt states where Hillary Clinton did poorly. Uh, I, I have to say, though, I, I haven't I, I haven't done a lot of reading of the polls, but the, the one poll I did see was CNN's and they, they were saying that uh, Bernie Sanders is the current front runner. Uh, so I, I would be interested to know which sources are saying Biden is on top and which are saying Bernie is on top. Because uh, I've seen more 
article saying that Bernie is the presumed frontrunner at this point. Right. Um, I think. Right. I think what they were probably referring to was there was an Emerson College uh, poll um, that came out, which was getting a bunch of headlines because it showed uh, Bernie Sanders uh, above Joe Biden, which was huge because that was the first major national poll to show Bernie Sanders in the lead nationally. I think they were referring to him as the front runner because Biden hadn't gotten in before and he was doing Bernie Sanders was doing like far better than any other candidate that had gotten in. He is America's most popular politician. I mean, it, if you look at yeah. the favorable ratings, I mean, there, there's no one else who is as likable as he is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's just interesting when I hear, you know, oh, Biden's the front runner because yeah. I just haven't seen a lot of polls say that. Yeah. Um, I, I know some news outlets advance that narrative, but <laughs> well, well, the uh, one this is interesting at this point. Thing, yeah. It's still very fluid, I think. Yeah, well, the one I saw was that that there was one. Um, There's only one poll I saw that had Sanders in the lead, and that was the Emerson College poll, uh, which showed him a couple points ahead of Biden. Um, it was also notable because it showed um, Pete Buttigieg in third place, which which was interesting because when when Pete Buttigieg got in, nobody knew who he was, and then it showed like some other interesting stuff. It showed. Castro doing better than most of the polls uh, showed. It showed uh, Andrew Yang actually picking up 3% nationally. And it actually showed Andrew Yang doing better than uh, Kirsten Joabrand, uh Amy Klobuchar, uh, and Cory Booker, all currently sitting members of the U.S. Senate, um, which was interesting. But I, I mean, I, I, th- I think the Iowa polls have varied, but I think... Um, most of the polls, though, I think that showed Biden ahead, um, were before he got in. So the big question now is now that he is in, cause these were all hypotheticals if he had gotten in now that he is in, uh, will that change, uh, his status in the polls? That's what a lot yeah, of people... I, are... I know there was the scandal of uh, the touching and everything. Right. <laughs> He's just a touchy-feely person. Uh, so the the chat I've been seeing among people of my generation is just that he kind of gives off a creepy old uncle vibe. Uh, but then I, you know, it could be just part of my social bubble. I, <laughs> I don't know what the mainstream American out there is thinking. Maybe they're tired of all the Me Too stuff and they're, they're ready to look past that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so why don't we move on to some of the Senate races. Uh, So in 2020, uh, obviously, uh, Republicans would like to take back the U.S. House of Representatives. Democrats would like to take back the U.S. Senate. Um, And uh, right now we have uh, new news out of the Colorado race, the Texas Senate race, uh, and the New Mexico Senate race. So in Colorado... Uh, this is a, a place where Democrats see a huge target of opportunity. Uh, some people, some pundits may uh, even think this may be the Democrats' best chance uh, of picking up a seat. This was, of course, a state that uh, both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama carried in 2016 and 2012. Um, Cory Gardner um, currently has low approval ratings. He's the sitting Republican um, so Democrats see a huge chance um, of uh, picking up a, uh, a seat there, uh, and already the, um, 
the uh, field for the Colorado Senate race on the Democratic side uh, has been filling up. Uh, so, uh, first of all, um, this week, uh, Dan uh, Bayer, uh, a former diplomat uh, under the Obama administration, announced his candidacy. Uh, the 42-year-old uh, is hoping to be the first openly gay male in the United States Senate. Um, we can also say that, uh, we can also say that Stephanie Rose, uh, Spalding, uh, she was a former University of Colorado, Colorado Springs professor. She was, uh, the nominee for Colorado's 5th Congressional District in 2018. She lost by a decent margin, but still gained national attention. Um, and in fact, she actually... Um, uh, Ben and Jerry's actually did a pint, uh, after her, uh, she's, uh, ho she got into the race, uh, and we can also say that John Walsh, the former U.S. attorney for the District of Colorado under Barack Obama, he served from 2010 to 2016, also, uh, announced his candidacy, uh, to challenge Cory Gardner, uh, in Colorado. Uh, we also have news out of Texas. This is another place where uh, Democrats would like to make a pickup. John Cornyn, of course, running again. He's a longtime incumbent. Um, right now, uh, there are some rumors that Beto O'Rourke would run in this race, but of course, Beto O'Rourke declined because he decided to, you know, run for president uh, instead. Um, but instead, let me pull up this, uh, the list, I think actually, um, Chuck Schumer actually met with, uh, Beto O'Rourke and asked him to run for Senate, but he decided to run for president instead. Uh, MJ Hagar, a retired United States Air Force major, uh, has decided that she will run. She was the nominee for Texas's, uh, 31st congressional district in 2018. Uh, she made national headlines, uh, for a viral ad she released back then, uh, she ran against uh, uh, Republican John Carter uh, and lost uh, to him by just three points. Uh, she is now hoping uh, to win the nomination to challenge uh, John Cornyn. And finally, we have the New Mexico Senate race. Uh, of course, Republicans would like to make a gain here. Um, uh, of course, recently, um, uh, it was announced that Tom Udall, the sitting Democratic senator, uh, would not seek a third term and that he would retire, um, which ends the Udall dynasty, the longtime Udall dynasty uh, in Congress uh, after decades. Um uh, recently, uh, Maggie, uh, Oliver, the secretary of state of New Mexico announced she would be running for the, the democratic nomination to replace him. And we also know, uh, that there, that the first major Republican got in, uh, we know that, uh, Gavin Clarkson, uh, the former deputy assistant secretary for policy and academic, uh, development at the Bureau of Indian Affairs, 
um, who actually was the nominee uh, for Secretary of State uh, of New Mexico in 2018, uh, has announced that he will run for that seat. He actually lost by a significant margin, but he still uh, is hoping uh, to pick up a seat uh, there. What are your thoughts uh, on all these uh, on all the Senate races, and what are your thoughts on the landscape of the Senate in twenty twenty? Uh, so, for, just from what I've been reading, uh, I, I don't think Democrats have a very high chance of taking back the Senate. Uh, I do know that New Mexico and Colorado have been trending more purple blue in general. Uh, I am, in the context of what you just said, very disappointed that Beto didn't run for U.S. Senate in Texas. I think that would have been the place he could have best helped the party and maybe had the best chance of um, uh, getting somewhere, (laughs) I guess, for lack of a better phrase. Um, So, yeah, I, I... I guess cautiously optimistic would be my view of uh, the Democrats' chances for the Senate. Uh, I, I think an issue that might inform people's vote is, you know, what's going on with the Trump corruption and accountability and, and whether Democrats push for impeachment or not. Um, I, I think that could be one issue that might cause people to swing uh, Democratic. I, I didn't hear a lot about the candidates' biographies that stand out in terms of why they would vote. Uh, for one person over another. I, I, I think this 2020 election is probably just going to be a referendum on President Trump. Um, uh, now, where, do you, where would you think would be the, uh, the, the best races for Democrats to target to make pickups uh, if they want any chance of taking back the Senate? Um, I, I, I would push hard in Colorado and New Mexico. I don't know about Texas. I, I think a strong personality like Beto might have been able to help them there. I know Texas was starting to maybe trend a little bit purple. The the race between him and uh, Ted Cruz was very, very close. And uh, he could have done better next time around if he had tried again. Um, I, I just, yeah, I, there's no state that stands out in my mind at this point that would be ripe for a pickup uh, just based on current conditions. But um yeah, I, I think Colorado and New Mexico are, are probably the most, I would say, blue-trending states where Democrats have the best chance. And I, I would, if they did focus resources, I would focus them there, although they should compete in every state. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, why don't we move on then? So uh, the Ukraine uh, has a new uh, president uh but believe it or not, it's actually a famous comedian uh, in the country. Um, uh, what happened was, uh, uh, let me see what his name is. Uh, popular TV comedian, comedian Vol- Volodymyr Zelensky uh, won the election uh, with 73% of the vote. Uh, he defeated the incumbent, uh, Petro uh, Poroshensky, uh, who got just 24% of the vote. So it was an absolute blowout. Zelensky is just 41 years old. Um, he, uh, he didn't talk as much about issues. Uh, apparently, he tried to focus more on personality. But apparently, that won the day because he won with over 70% of the vote. Um, 
what are your thoughts on uh, Zelensky, a for, uh, popular uh, comedian, winning the Ukrainian election? I, I would say it's probably a vote of no confidence in the current system. Uh, but the, the problem with electing a joke is that, you know, the joke might be on you in the end. Uh, he says that he's not going to govern based on his own opinions, but he will ask the people what they want. And our founding fathers in America warned against that as mob rule. Uh, and popular wisdom is not always right. So I'll be interested to see what goes on in Ukraine, whether people's lives actually improve. Uh, it's interesting that the Ukrainian people put themselves up for this little experiment. <laughs> um, and we'll, we'll just see how it goes. I'll, I'll reserve judgment until I see the results. Now, do you think he was able to win because of an unorthodoxy environment uh, that Donald Trump created? Because one of the arguments many people make for Andrew Yang getting as much attention as he does is that uh, Donald Trump created an unorthodox environment uh, for in terms of the political landscape, you know, beforehand you could never dream uh, of a reality TV host that had never held political office uh, becoming president. But then Donald Trump just came in and changed that, and that's the reason why Andrew Yang is doing so well. That's the argument many people make. Uh, do you believe I mean, this is true, and do you I, believe... I don't know if I would credit Trump so much as saying that he might might have set a new floor. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you look to the United States experience with comedians in elections, we have Stephen Colbert, who jokingly declared his candidacy, uh, and we have a lot of people who said, hey, John Stewart should run for president, but John Stewart said, no, that's that's not my job. Uh, and he said, he was, I think he said something like he was better at criticizing than actually making the decisions. Uh, so I, I appreciated John Stewart's candor on, on that issue and his humility. Uh, and I'm actually a little bit worried <laughs> for the Ukraine. Uh, and, and also the conditions that helped elected Trump, we have to keep in mind, weren't just created by Trump himself. He also had outside help from Russians who were d directly interfering in our elections in as many ways as they possibly could, including social media uh, and, and uh, who knows what else. I mean, we have evidence voting machines were hacked. We don't know if votes were altered. Uh, it starts venture into conspiracy theory, but we, we do know the machines were hacked. So uh, it, it's, I, I, I don't want to create this cult of Trump, you know, where it's like, oh, personality is all that matters. No, I, I think we need to stay informed as citizens, be aware of the issues and, and trust the experts when they have good reasons for their positions. All right. Uh, why don't we move on then? Uh, so a new poll uh, is uh, coming out from the Washington Post uh, and uh, slash ABC, uh, which shows uh, that a majority of uh, Americans don't want to see President Donald Trump impeached, but they do believe Donald Trump lied. Uh, so uh, the poll showed that about 37% of Americans uh, favored starting uh, impeachment proceedings in Congress, uh, while 56% uh, percent, uh, uh, opposed uh, efforts. And let me see if I can pull up the poll. Um, uh, but, however, 53% uh, said the report did not clear the president, um, and 47% said that Trump tried to obstruct Mueller's probe, and 58% said they believed uh, Trump lied uh, about matters uh, that they were under investigation. Um, and 58% also said 
that Mueller's uh, findings did not change their opinion of President Trump. Um, and 46% uh, said that they believe the report won't uh, play a factor in whether they support Donald Trump or not uh, in 2020. What are your thoughts uh, on this poll? Uh, what are your, do you believe Donald Trump should be impeached? And do you believe it is politically expedient for the Democrats at this point uh, to impeach Donald Trump? Well, from the sound of the poll, it may not be politically expedient, but I, I think it's important to hold presidents accountable to the law. Uh, I, if there is a desire among people that this guy shouldn't be impeached, even though they know he broke the law, I blame Republicans for that by politicizing the process of impeachment back in 1998, uh, when it was really much more of a non-issue not related to the duties of his office. Uh, so I, I, I think that's a shame. Um, I hope that uh, you know so the courageous decisions get made. But I, I have to say, I, I think there's been a trend in this country away from accountability and facing consequences for decisions in general. Uh, there's just this thought that we were all trying our best, and, and who cares about the law? And uh, that that's a little bit disturbing. Uh, <laughs> absolute power corrupts absolutely. And if, if we don't give people an incentive to follow the law uh, by not rendering them accountable for their actions. I, I worry about what will happen in the future. It, it sets a pretty dangerous precedent. Um, if 58% of people believe Trump lied uh, and a decent, a significant amount of people believe the report didn't clear Trump, why do, 50, why do you think 56% of people also think he shouldn't be impeached? Well, that, that's what I was saying about the Clinton impeachment. I, I, I think it really politicized the process. And I, I think in a, in a large number of Americans' minds, it, it no longer became a tool to hold power accountable. And I, I think they started to think it was just a way of punishing people you don't like. You know, And that, that's not what's happening here. That This is actually an issue of the rule of law and, and uh, making sure that our highest office in the land is free of corruption and, and undue influence. So I... I I hope that there's a way for Democrats to get people to see that this isn't just about political retribution, because I, I think that's what those voters are thinking about in terms of impeachment. They think it's just, oh, we don't like Trump, let's go get him. You know, it's like, no, it's he did this, this, and this. That's what articles of impeachment are for, by the way. <laughs> it's like, these are the crimes we think mean you shouldn't be president anymore, and then uh, our elected bodies vote on it. Uh, so I, 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 as much as I hope for political courage, I, I don't expect our elected officials to show it, but... <laughs> I, I think this is about the country and what kind of government do we want. All right. Um, so uh, why don't we move on then? So Pete Buttigieg uh, is now scheduled to have a town hall uh, on Fox News. The 37-year-old, I believe he's 37, um, is uh, scheduled uh, to have his own town hall on Fox News uh, following the town hall uh, that Bernie Sanders uh, had uh, on Fox News. Let me see if I can uh, find a date uh, for... Uh, um, let's see. It looks like the debate, which will be, or not the debate, the town hall, which will be moderated by Chris Wallace, uh, will be airing Sunday, uh, May 19th, 
uh, from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern uh, on Fox News. Um, what are your thoughts uh, on Pete Buttigieg uh, agreeing to debate on Fox News? And do you think this could be a sign uh, that more Democrats could be hosting uh, town halls on the network? I mean, as, as much as I personally dislike Fox News and see it as a purely political operation, I also know it's important to speak to people that wouldn't otherwise hear your message. Uh, so I, I think overall it's a very good thing that Democrats are ending their boycott of Fox News and that these uh, older, very conservative voters uh, will, will get to hear their issues at least spoken to, even if they don't agree. Uh, I, I think it's more important to keep the conversation going uh, rather than build these walls, so to speak, <laughs> between our, our different parties. Um, now, the Bernie Sanders town hall Q&A that they had uh, garnered nearly 2.6 million viewers. Uh, do you believe that uh, Pete Buttigieg uh, and, uh, agreeing to do a town hall on Fox News, do you think he may have looked at those ratings and said, oh, this could help my campaign? I, I don't know if it's about the ratings. I, I think that's Trump's way of thinking. <laughs> uh, I, I have a feeling uh, Pete Buttigieg just wants to speak to uh, you know, the, the, the people who may or may not choose to vote for him. I, I think it's about making his campaign appear open and accessible to all Americans. And I, I think that's the that's the kind of person that he strikes me as being. He has said that actually, uh, in terms of wanting to reach out specifically to Trump voters and and trying to make nice with them, uh, as opposed to uh, make nice for better lack of a better phrase, by the way. Uh, but he 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 wants to I guess include Middle America, include Trump voters in in these uh, internal pl political discussions that the Democratic Party is having because he sees that as necessary to victory in the general election. I, I, I think that's a smart strategy, even if I, I don't support the candidate personally yet at this point. All right. Why don't we move on then? So President Donald Trump met with uh, Twitter CEO uh, Jack Dorsey. Uh, this uh, Apparently, this uh, some of the things they discussed included... Uh, the 2020 presidential election. They also discussed the opioid crisis, uh, and apparently there were some concerns about the way Dorsey handles his follower counter uh, on uh, Twitter, which were discussed. Donald Trump saying in a tweet, quote, Good morning, uh, good meeting this afternoon at the White House with J at Jack uh, slash Jack Dorsey from Twitter. Lots of subjects expressed regarding their platform uh, and the world of social media in general. Look forward to keeping an open dialogue. Uh, Jack Dorsey uh, replied to his tweet saying, Thank you for your time. Or no, thank you for the time. Uh, Twitter is here to serve the entire public conversation. And we intend to make a healthier, uh, to make it healthier and more civil. Uh, thanks for the discussion about that. Uh, what are your thoughts on Jack Dorsey's meeting uh, with President Trump? I mean, there's just what strange times we live in. I mean, I, I'm trying to think back to the past and imagine what it might have been like if, say, the CEOs of television networks had met with the president uh, to coordinate strategy. Uh, <laughs> just very, very strange. Uh, I, I hope some good came out of that discussion. We'll see in the, the following months whether that's true. Um I, I feel like my initial reaction is that uh, Jack meeting with the president 
legitimizes him in a way that I'm not sure he deserves. Uh, but again, if some good comes out of it, who cares what my, my feelings about it are. Uh, if you were president right now, would you meet with Jack Dorsey if you had concerns over Twitter? No, uh, I think the appropriate way for a president to handle that is to use his uh, emissaries to reach out to the other guy's other emissaries and, and, and discuss issues indirectly that way. I, I think this was about having a, a public platform to Trump to, to look like he was being endorsed by Twitter uh, when that, that's not normally how things are done. But yeah, it's, it just strike, struck me as really self-serving for, for Trump. All right. Uh, why don't we move on uh, to some questions then? Let me see if this will load in a second. Uh, so uh, there are a couple questions that were asked. Uh, you can answer them. Um, uh, Revan asks, uh, will Bernie win? And he also says, will Trump win again? What are your thoughts? <laughs> I, I have no crystal ball. I, I think if 2016 showed us anything, it's that all the polls, all the prognostication, uh, it, nothing really matters until the vote happens. Uh, I, I think Bernie has a good chance of winning. I, I think Trump has a good chance of winning. And it, it's so much is going to happen between now and November of, of 2020 that we, I, I, I can't say. All right. Rico Gonzalez asks, is the wall going to happen? I don't think the wall is going to happen the way Trump promised in his initial campaign. I've noticed that his messaging has switched to, oh, look at this great, beautiful wall. And he was standing in front of a border fencing that began under the Obama administration. Uh, so I, I think he's going to try to change how his supporters see the wall to claim that it is getting built. Uh, but I, I don't think uh, the rhetoric he used during the 2016 campaign, like, let's have a concrete wall and make it 10 feet higher is going to happen, and I, I think the reason for that is cost, and also the fact that Congress won't give him the money. All right, um, and Gavin LeFou asks, how many attempts have been made to impeach Trump? Uh, that's a good question. I, I haven't been following congressional activity very closely to say for sure, but I want to say zero, <laughs> just because I haven't heard of any formal uh, amendments being introduced by anyone. I, I think we've had one Senator Elizabeth Warren call for Trump's impeachment based on the Mueller report, uh, but as far as formal attempts at impeachment, I, I'm not aware of any. All right, and Brian Holbin asks, why is Trump still president? <laughs> That's a, a very good question. Yeah, uh, I, I think the answer is that... Uh, there, there's a couple of answers. One is that we, we didn't have the evidence yet to know that he had done anything illegal. And I think the second part of that is even if he has done something illegal, uh, do politicians think it's worth dividing the country over and, and risking public unrest to unseat an elected official? And I, I think that's the difficult question that we'll have to wrestle with as we see the details of Trump's doings come out. All right. Uh, so uh, those were all the questions. Uh I'm going to start uh, doing questions weekly. I'm also going to do a weekly question thing on f future episodes where uh, you guys uh, can answer questions and we'll read the answers on the next episode. This week, uh, this week's question is, should Trump be impeached uh, over the Mueller findings? Why or why not? Uh, you can send me your answers uh, at business at gmail.com. Uh, you can also... 
contact me uh, through social media. You can also uh, contact me here on Anchor. Uh, Omar, before you go, do you want to tell people where you can be found? Sure. Uh, I run a news aggregation feed on Facebook and Twitter. It's called Political Window. It's P-O-L-W-N-D-W, if you want to use the abbreviation. And, uh, yeah, feel free to tweet, Facebook message me, whatever. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Make sure to watch next week or listen next week. Bye. Sure. Are you going to run for president of the United States and do something about it? Do you think she should? Do you think she should? Are you going to run? <laughs> I have decided to run and will be making a formal announcement within the next week. Whoa. A congresswoman, a war hero, and a progressive, who is Tulsi Gabbard, the woman who is standing up to the establishment she once was a part of and now wants to be president? The Candidates Donald Trump has got to be defeated, and I intend to do everything that I can with every other progressive in America making sure that that happens. Their Stories we got a real opportunity to build something. And their fight for the White House. Keep America great! Exclamation point. Keep America great. This is Presidential Profile 2020. At that inflection moment, where were you? This is that moment. It's our job to remind the American people that we're looking out for them. So all of you, showing the country how you do this. The special interests and the powerful have such an outsized influence and outcome to restore our democracy. Tulsi Gabbard was born on April 12, 1981 to Mike and Carol in America, Somalia, where she and her family resided until age three when they moved to Hawaii. Gabbard is mixed race. Her father practices Catholicism while her mother practices Hinduism. Gabbard is a believer in Hinduism. Gabbard was homeschooled for most of her life as a child and attended Hawaii Pacific University until 2002 when she ran for the Hawaii State Legislature. Hawaii ran as a conservative Democrat at the time and initially opposed gay marriage and civil unions, a position which has proven to be controversial to this day. Aloha. In my past, I said and believed things that were wrong. And worse, they were very hurtful to people in the LGBTQ community and to their loved ones. Many years ago, I apologized for my words and more importantly, for the negative impact that they had. I sincerely repeat my apology today. I'm deeply sorry for having said them. After winning the nomination, Gabbard defeated Republican Alfonso Jimenez by a 65-35% to 35% margin. Gabbard became the youngest member of the Hawaii State Legislature in history. During her time in the legislature, she fought for clean energy leg legislation. However, in 2003, she enlisted in Hawaii's Army National Guard. In 2004, Rita Cabanilla primaried her for her seat in the state legislature. Cabanilla called on Gabbard to resign after joining the National Guard. Gabbard refused, but ceased campaigning, losing the nomination to Kabila by a large margin. Gabbard then went on a 12-month tour in Iraq and was deployed twice. She returned home and in 2010, 
She ran for the Honolulu City Council after Rod Grams retired to run for mayor of Honolulu. Gabbard came in first in the first election and advanced to a runoff where she took down Sensanita Mopombo by a 58 to 41% margin. During her time on the Honolulu City Council, she supported legislation to loosen food truck parking restrictions, which was successful. In 2012, she announced she'd be running for the U.S. House of Representatives in the 2nd District after incumbent Democrat Maisie Hirono announced she'd retire to run for a U.S. Senate seat. Gabbard embraced a more progressive platform, supporting LGBT rights and access to abortion. After winning the nomination from her party, Gabbard resigned from her seat on the Honolulu City Council to focus on her campaign. Gabbard also traveled to North Carolina to speak for President Barack Obama at the 2012 Democratic National Convention that year. Tulsi Gabbard, she is going to be the one to watch tonight at the DNC. She defeated Republican Kawika Crowley by an 80 to 19 margin in November. A month after winning her election, Gabbard vied for an appointment to the U.S. Senate seat left vacant by David Inoue, who held the seat for almost 50 years before his death. However, Hawaii Governor Neil Abercrombie controversially appointed Lieutenant Governor Brian Schatz to the seat instead. During her time in Congress, Gabbard introduced the Helping Heroes Fly Act, which was an attempt to improve airport security screenings for injured and handicapped veterans, which easily passed bipartisanly in Congress and was signed into law by President Obama. Crowley challenged Gabbard to a rematch in 2014 and lost to Gabbard by a 78-18 to 18 margin. In spite of President Obama, a member of her own party, being born in Hawaii and winning the state by a whopping 40 points the same night Gabbard was elected, Gabbard was often at odds with Obama and disagreed with him on foreign policy issues. Gabbard, who was a non-interventionist, attacked Obama for his involvement in Syria. Eventually, Gabbard became the vice chair of the Democratic National Committee. However, she was at odds with the chair of the committee, Florida Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and attacked her for holding only six debates throughout the entire 2016 Democratic primary cycle. Gabbard accused Schultz of trying to prop up former Secretary of State, former New York Senator, and former First Lady Hillary Clinton as the frontrunner. Her criticism of Schultz led to her being disinvited from the Las Vegas Democratic primary debate. Gabbard was informed she would be required to give her superdelegate to Clinton. However, Gabbard refused, and in February of 2016, she made national headlines from resigning from the Democratic National Committee to endorse Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders instead, siding with him for his non-interventionist voting record. So the Democratic Party has, has been using the superdelegate system where um, as people are running for president, you have a certain number of, of delegates that go to one person or another uh, based on that state's rules. Rumors swirled that if Sanders was the nominee, he might choose Gabbard as his vice presidential pick. However, Sanders ended up losing the nomination to Clinton. Later, on the eve of the Democratic primary, 
Leaked emails from WikiLeaks revealed that DNC officials conspired to help Clinton win in the primaries. This controversy led to Schultz resigning from her position as DNC chair. Multiple states, Bernie Sanders was listed as a write-in option during the general election, with Gabbard listed in the running mate section of the ballot. Clinton went on to lose to Republican New York businessman Donald Trump. That same night, she took down Republican Angela Caillou by an 81-18% to 18% margin. After Trump won, Gabbard became the source of attention for many Republicans. She came under fire from the left when white nationalist Richard Spencer said he hoped she'd run for president. And KKK wizard David Duke endorsed her to be Trump's Secretary of State. However, Gabbard has denounced both of these individuals. Gabbard endorsed Minnesota Congressman Keith Ellison for DNC chair, though he lost to former Labor Secretary Thomas Perez. Gabbard went on a trip to Syria and controversially said that she believed the United States should not take down Bashar al-Assad's reign as the nation's leader. Gabbard got in trouble for violating House ethics laws. A poll showed Gabbard was, quote, the Republicans' favorite Democrat in Congress. Gabbard supported Bernie Sanders' idea of a Medicare for All system. Rumors spread that Gabbard could seek the nomination for her party in 2020. However, Gabbard kept much of the hype in secret and won re-election to her seat in 2018, dispatching Republican musician Brian Evans by a 77 to 22% margin. In 2019, Gabbard penned an article criticizing Democrats for weaponizing religion. Many believe the criticism was aimed at Hawaii U.S. Senator Maisie Hirono, who once held Gabbard's seat. She fired back. In January of 2019, on Van Jones's show, Gabbard announced her candidacy for president. Now, she hopes to be the first woman president of the United States and the first president of South Asian descent. Every time we launch these interventionist regime change wars, it is not only our veterans who pay the price for that. For more Presidential Profiles 2020, keep it right here on Politics Weekly. New episodes every Tuesday.